Hey, welcome to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. This is our book club series where we are reading Light Sleeper by Coleman Stevenson. I have with me today editor Sarah Dennison, and we are reading two poems from Accidental Rarification, which is one section in Light Sleeper. The first is How Do You Know What to Keep, which is the first in Accidental Rarification, and then we're reading the third, I Understand a Little of My Architecture. So Sarah, welcome to the show. What do you think of these poems? I understand, like I relate to this so much as like, this is a childhood in the South. And I grew up in the South and so many of these images are so much a part of my childhood as well. It's just like kind of overwhelming nostalgia. That's why I, I do really like these poems. How do you know what to keep? When I was a girl, Acorns were olives with hats, and gravel lay in the road like diamonds to be mined. Mine, a childhood not full of faces, but landscapes, lightning bugs, glass jars, and thunderstorms. After the rain gathered in its cracks, I sailed magnolia leaves down the driveway's isolated rivers. I searched for a pattern in the shallow runners of St. Augustine, each blade a whistle and waiting and the carpet of moss under the cherry tree, droplets of dew perched at each stalk tip in which life grew itself. I wished myself small enough to crawl into that red bristled shag, walk the height of fronds in a forest of bracken. All of this, as good as forgotten, as I moved in the certain flow of linear time, never asking what will let itself be kept and what wants to fly away. We all might prove our human weight through measurement of human loss. When pushed, I looked and found a logic of dissolutions, a thousand tiny separations, and a child with her lens set out to magnify. I tried, I tried, but I promise everything we've ever done seems to lead to some sort of sadness or loss as nothing keeps its first flash for long, its slap and birth cry, its firecracker pop, its lightning bolt snap that charges the air, not the rain pooling up, the spores of a fern dispersing, not the unfolded secrets that closed back up with daybreaks, shifting streaks of fire and ice. As highways have replaced the small rivers, mirages of heat, shift like light on water, and I'm floored by how much I don't know, but I am certain of one key thing. There's nothing more electric than the moment just after a secret has been told, unless it is the odd familiarity of flowering quince lining the median, or the hum of tires on a freshly paved section of road. I understand a little of my architecture. It was a childhood. There was a hammer to prick the wood with nails and a plane to smooth the edges. My father cut boards balanced across sawhorses, rough wooden sawhorses. We made them manes and tails from rope, and I was the stable hand, catching sawdust in bowls as it sifted down to feed them. It was more than a game, my eyes drying in the powdered wood. 
It was cool in the basement where the saws hung. I'd bend the blades back and forth to make them sing. The vice, weighing down a corner of his workbench, cranked open and squeezed closed. Its patinaed handle made my hands smell like blood. The stain would spread and settle into the ridges of my fingers. We picked blackberries along the roadside. Brambles and snakes, my arms scratched. I thought of the boy in the school book caught in swarming bees and stung until he died. It was summer for me, too, and humid. My legs stuck to the hot seat of the car. I watched through the wide rear window flanked by pails of black seedy fruit as the road poured out beneath us. We drove off into twilight the quiet punctuated by dips of sonorous bats chasing bugs through almost dark. The bridge stretched out for a mile over the bay. Five hours in the car on the way to the beach seemed so much longer than the five hours home. Sand crabs the size of my fingernails were pets rotting in a green plastic bucket of sand. Scratches on my legs from a fraying folding chair, the sting of something in the water stirred up by a storm, the crash of my father's voice inside my head, don't drop your fork on your plate. Pictures of me in the polka dot bathing suit with a funny-looking girl met in the water that day. Pictures of the castle before the tide inched in to its turrets built of a million tiny grains ground down from shells and chitin by a turning, thrashing flood. From the shade of the front porch swing I watched, my mother push her hands through the dirt. She taught me the names of bright things in our yard, compact grape hyacinths, heavy-scented magnolias, blue jays that flashed and quarreled when we came too close to the nest. She taught me tricks of forcing bulbs to sprout before they were ready, taught me to weed the beds of chickweed and ground ivy and prune away any undesirable traits, pluck aphids from swollen rosebuds and hips. I learned where poisons are found, in acuba leaves, mistletoe, foxglove, while peonies bow down to the ground under the weight of petals and crawling ants. Her marriage gone completely to seed, a season dry with no tears. She raised me as an azalea when I wanted to be a green fanning fern. Some things were real, others were not. They worked away, I chose my side. In the end, it was a table and it was civilized. What uh, images stand out to you? What do they, what feel the most nostalgic to you or have the biggest connection? Well. I mean, there's the lightning bugs and the glass jars and thunderstorms, but there's this, uh, the, it's in the first sentence, gravel lay in the road like diamonds to be mined. Me and my sister, when we first moved to our house from our rental house, then my parents were like fixing it up. There were, we had no toys. It was hot. There was no air conditioning. So we just played outside all day and we would just sit in the gravel driveway and like play with the rocks <laughs> and then like look for shiny rocks and mm. that one i don't know it's a very concrete image in my mind that seems very specific and less general 
I have the same memory too, especially yeah. in like sometimes being in Southern California and it's different rocks. It's like those, yeah. those red rocks, you know, they're uh -huh. kind of a pumice almost. And when you find a really cool one, you're like, wow, this is truly the best thing in the world. And I have just found this. <laughs> I mean, rocks are cool. Rocks are great. I really like poems when there's an image that comes so, so like into the front of your mind that you can't. It's a very exciting feeling. It's so vibrant. It takes over everything that you're thinking about. So you don't even remember where you are or that you're reading a book. You just suddenly see the image. And this, sometimes poems just have a couple of those. But both of these, one and three especially, are full of these. You get experiences where you're immediately transported to that place with the lightning bugs and thunderstorms with the rocks. And one is kind of like a series of images hmm. that all together form this hazy nostalgia but three has these one two three four specific memories mm, well three true. specific and kind of fleshes out those memories a little bit more but they are still very relatable <laughs> <laughs> things that i also did in my childhood I didn't think about that, but yes, okay, if we look at one, if we actually look at the words on the page, memories are kind of running into one another. And then in three, it does feel like they're separated and we're elaborating on each section of memory. They are. They're separated by space. Do they Do they feel different, their attention? Like, do they, I know you said one's a little hazier, the other one's more elaborate, but are they going for a different emotion? This kind of first memory at the end of that first paragraph where the, the poet says, I wished myself small enough to crawl into that red bristled shag, walk the height of bronze in a forest of bracken, kind of imagining herself as someone small enough to walk through the moss and the grass and what mm -hmm. it would be like. It kind of like, what, what would it be like if I were an ant? You know? So that kind of emotion is, I guess, a little more whimsical, mm. a little more... Whimsical is very good. I think that's a good way to describe it. The first yeah. sentence was too. You're atmospheric, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then in number three, these three distinct memories of things are more, they're more of a narrative, I think. Mm -hmm. And I, each one of them kind of has a different emotion. Yes. Um, you have the first one playing with their father's tools. They're kind of like in a woodshed, you know, playing with the, the sawhorse and the wood shaving, pretending the sawhorses are real horses. Yeah, with the manes. And I was a stable hand catching sawdust and both as I sifted down to feed them. That's, that's just a nice image. I'm not sure what the emotion is in that. What do you think? It's it's interesting. There's there's lots of kind of harsh verbs at the end, and then blood. We end with blood, mm -hmm. but it never feels like it's threatening. It just feels like right. You know the smell of blood. It's kind of exciting to experience all of these different sights, sounds, and smells, even though even though it's a saw, even though they're doing they're working with wood, which can be a dangerous thing. It just seems fun. Yeah, there's a kind of innocence. You know, you could describe this scene in a much different way. In a basement, there's some wood Good point. Uh like some There's wood, saws laying around. Saws, some sawdust. <laughs> It could be described very differently. There's a smell of blood, but it's not. It, it comes across as kind of comforting and safe. Yeah. You know, like my father's working and we're just down here hanging out playing because it's kind of cool. And we made up this game with these sawhorses. You know, I got 
kind of goes back to that imagining myself small enough to crawl around mm, in the that's true. for me. The, the, they're almost connected with the, the sensation because the final sentence is saying, you know, the patinaed handle of the saw makes my hand smell like blood. And then we have the three stars separating the sections. We go then on to the stain would spread and settle into the ridges of my fingers. And now we're transitioning into blackberries. It's, it's nice to have the idea of you're in the shop. Yes, maybe you might prick your finger and you might get a little bit of blood, but it's in a safe place and you'll learn that that's okay. You get a Band-Aid. Same thing with the blackberries. You're probably going to get scratched and you'll learn that that's okay. It mentions just... the scratches, yeah. Brambles and snakes, my arm scratched. And then the other, the next memory as well, scratches on my legs from the frame folding chair. Yeah. So there is some physical harm being done. Yeah. There is some element of danger in all of these, but they're... They're safe, comfortable memory. There's one shock in there. I wanted to see what you thought about this because, yes, there's the, there's the little injuries, but they're safe, they're comfortable, like you said. There's the moment, though, when she, she gets her arm scratched and she thinks suddenly of swarming bees stinging a boy until he dies. And I wonder, do you think, is it menace or is well, it at all? and it, it's not... It's, I thought of the boy in the school book caught in swarming bees and stung until he died. Like, what yeah. school book is she reading? <laughs> like, I don't know. It kind of sounds like one of those stories kids tell each other, mm-hmm. you know, like silly, scary stories like kids tell each other. Yeah, you know, I kind of like skipped over that, actually. It just seemed to me, it seems like it doesn't seem like a real tragedy. It seems like mm. like a ghost story told around a campfire, maybe. Yeah. I think so too. I think it, it feels to me almost like the earlier bit we have, yes, things could be dangerous in the wood shop, but it's a safe environment. It's comfortable. Then we have maybe bringing that lesson on into life. We have, we get scratched in the blackberries. Oh my God, it could be like the boy who was stung with bees. But no, it's just safe. It's comfortable also. But then if that's the case, it moves on. And I feel like it does change quite a bit in the next part. What do you think about the next part that begins the bridge stretched out? for a mile over the bay, the mood changes. There's two things that stand out to me. The crash of my father's voice inside my head, don't drop your fork on your plate. I don't understand the context of that Mm. dialogue at a beach. I could understand the context of that in a fancy restaurant. Yeah. (laughs) It's some nice china, but on, Mm. on the beach, I'm not really sure. But it does come across as violent a little bit and uncalled for. Maybe unjust. I'm not really sure. And then the other thing is that in this, in the previous memories, they're memories. In this one, there's pictures of me in the polka dot bathing suit with a funny looking girl. Pictures of the castle before the tide instant. So maybe the poet's a little bit older now and maybe has some more distinct memories, but is maybe starting to forget a little bit and Mm -hmm. is reminded by the pictures like when the older you get kind of the less you remember the more you have to be reminded of your memories by the photographs it, it's a very different the transition i think in the poem because before we have all these memories and none of them are filtered through that adulthood or filtered through the narrator being an adult now that suddenly happens here where we have pictures of me so it changes the way I read the rest of the poem. Now I feel like we're looking all through pictures and we have that adulthood perspective 
the crash that suddenly happens, I'm still wondering how much it's changing the rest of my feeling about the poem when we have the father earlier in the comfortable environment. But I think Coma's doing something similar to what she did with the blood, moving from the, the smell of blood to the sensation of blood from picking blackberries. We have waves crashing and the crash of a father's voice. But why that's bringing us into adulthood, I think, is I'm not sure, but I think it's very interesting. Things change again. The next one is very visual and very much about sensations. But the final one, I feel like, changes quite a bit. Changes, yeah. The final one is kind of a summary yeah. of like, this was, and it starts out, I understand a little of my architecture. It was a childhood. And then the ending is like, and this is what I just told you. Yeah, yeah. Again, interesting that we've had, you know, building things out of wood. Now we have a table. Even the form is shaped like a oh. table or maybe oh, like an arch. <laughs> I did not notice that. It's Some architecture. <laughs> it might be a table. It could be like like an arch or a bridge. I, I think you're right. I think that's In the end, table. it was a table. Yeah. <laughs> and and we were, we've come to the end of the poem. It's a table. Colin, clever, tricky. <laughs> I love how they play with form. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Absolutely incredible. We have another kind of lightning shock, or not really lightning shock, but a, a quick little jab, a little shock to the senses, I think, where we have the, I learned where poisons are found. <laughs> okay. We have, I believe, the first mention of the narrator's mother in this paragraph. My mother pushed her hands through dirt, and we're learning about all the different plants. Seems very safe, then suddenly poison. And then we talk about her marriage. And now it's from her mother's perspective, whereas the beginning starts from her father's perspective. There is a difference in the other memories. In the first one, the speakers themselves, with themselves, hmm. the very first one in number one. And then in number three, our three memories are kind of with father. And then it's just a we. We're not sure who's hmm. there, but presumably the whole family. And then at the beach, again, the whole family, the fathers also mentioned. And those are kind of narratives. I think they're telling kind of the story of what happens in this particular trip to pick blackberries or this trip to the beach. Hmm. And this memory with the mother is they're at home, they're in the garden, and hmm. the mother is actively teaching something rather than just like, I'm over here sawing my horses. You're over there playing. And, but in this one, the mother's actively teaching things. And they're, they're bright things. You know, they're beautiful grape hyacinths and magnolias and blue jays that flashed. And it's really bright, shiny images and even scents that we're getting, like smells that we're getting. Hmm. And it, we're talking, I don't know, it's talking about like bringing things to life. And I guess also, I do like this line. She taught me tricks of forcing bulbs to sprout, taught me to weed the beds of chickweed and ground ivy and prune away any undesirable trait. That could also be a metaphor. Mm. Things that mothers could teach their daughters about their personalities or their appearances, their manners or behaviors. And then in this table stanza, she kind of reemphasizes that. She raised me as an azalea when I wanted to be a green fanning fern. More tension. Yeah. Her mother is a gardener. Her father is a carpenter. <laughs> I don't know. if you Have you ever heard that theory? It's like a parenting theory. Oh. Although this is a bit 
different take on it. I don't know. I don't know if it's relevant. I don't know if well, it's, it's interesting. It. I want to know. I want to know. <laughs> so there's a theory that as children grow, it's hmm. you're not like carving them to be something. You can't shape them into something. Hmm. They are like a plant that is growing, and they're going to be what they're going to be. If you plant a tomato, you can't make it a sunflower. All you can do is give it what it needs to grow, right? So the same with children, like you can't force them to be something they're not. And there's this theory of like, you know, you need to parent children as if you were a gardener, not a carpenter. I don't know how these poems take that a different spin on that. You know, she raised me as an azalea when I wanted to be a green fanning fairy. She's still a carpenter, even though she's pretending (laughs) to be a gardener. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. And I also really like that. I think this is our second image of Burns in this book. Mm. As the last yes last yes. podcast, there were ferns as well. In number one, there's a mention of ferns, the spores of a fern dispersing, not the unfolded secrets that close back up with sacred shifting streaks of fire knife. I love that. I love fern. I think Coleman likes ferns. I think she's a big fern fan. I think that is a good point to go back to number one because we really like talked about that first uh, paragraph in number so one. There's, there's two more, and there's. There's more that's kind of, I guess, more like exposition than memory. Mm. It's more commentary on the memory than the memories. Well, I mean, thinking about the title of number three, I understand a little of my architecture. And then you go back to number one, Coleman asks this question, what will let itself be kept and what wants to fly away? I think she's talking about memories there. Mm. We don't decide what we remember. You know, going back to those pictures of the beach. What do you think about that? That could be very true. We have lots of accidental verification, I think, is about memories and how if they are vivid enough, they will flash. I like that that description of the bluebirds, the flash of bluebirds. Yeah. And I think a lot of them are kind of like that. Or images that are just unforgettable, like acorns, where they all is wearing hats. I think that is a good way to look at it. Memories, whether or not they're flying away or they're they're letting themselves remain with us. And then I wonder about the next part, the we all might prove our human weight through measurement of human loss and whether that connects to memories or what the meaning of that might be. Is that loss, does the loss mean like grief, like loss of people, or is that still talking about the memories, like what we forget? like loss of memory. So if we have forgotten so much more than what we can remember, hmm. that means we have lived a full life. <laughs> we all might prove our human weight through measurement of human loss. So like our weight as a human, like we might have more humanness, like more value in our life if we have lost so much just through time. Yep, and potentially it could be like wheat from the, the chaff if you have all sorts of random memories as they're lost and the ones that are weighty enough to remain with you that let themselves be kept. Maybe you have a brighter collection or a more substantial mm. collection. It's yeah. interesting then to look to end that paragraph with the the child with her lens set out to magnify. Kind of it reminds me again of the earlier image of a child looking through all the rocks, figuring out which ones are the shiny ones. And now we have a child with a magnifying glass looking at memories or looking at something but the, the the i tried i tried is interesting then because we have a not a loss as a as a gain or not a loss as a boiling down well, that's not a very good term 
not a loss as a um, curation of memory, but it seems more like a regretful loss that I tried, I tried. Is that I tried to hang on to the memories or the sentence before that, I looked and found a logic of dissolutions. Mm -hmm. Tried, I tried. When pushed, I looked and found the logic of dissolution. She is accepting the logic of dissolutions. You know, she's talking about losing certain memories, and she begins saying that's a good thing because we're, well, this is what it seems like she's saying. It's a good thing because we're distilling them to have a really beautiful curation, a really beautiful, like, strawberry, house on Strawberry Hill kind of curation of things that we love and that mean something to us. But finding that logic of dissolutions and understanding that that is the right thing is still, there's a sadness to it. And the child, at least, the child mind is trying to avoid losing anything at all. Mm. And when she goes on next, she says, I promise everything we've ever done seems to lead to some sort of sadness or loss as nothing keeps its first flash for long. Like you said, the things yeah. that are really bright, we might keep. And her mother is teaching her the bright things earlier. The things that she describes as the fern dispersing, the streaks of fire and ice, these powerful things. I'm not I'm not sure mm. about that because cool. I think it's saying that these bright things, mm. they don't they don't stay bright. No, they fade. You know, like a flash of lightning or it's slap and birth cry. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like smacking a baby to make it cry, you know? <laughs> That's so old-fashioned. <laughs> <Do they laughs> I don't know. I think so. I um, think so. Because you have to make sure if the baby's not crying, it's not breathing. So you have to give it some sort of pain to make it cry. It's laugh and first cry. It's fire mm -hmm. pop. It's lightning bolt snap that ch charges the air. The spores of a fern dispersing. So it's all of these things that are really bright. And then they just mm -hmm. kind of fizzle out. Like Kind of like a fire True. works, you know? It's like very, very bright and like and almost smoke. like blinding, and then it's just yeah. like over. Yeah, and it's just like okay, we go home now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, she seems to change. Okay, she says now I'm floored by, or I guess not now, but it seems like it's the perspective of now at the end. The final paragraph where it says, "As highways have replaced the small rivers, mirages of heat shift like night on water," and I'm floored by how much I don't know. It seems like now there's a positivity and not knowing things or potentially losing things but she does say she's certain of something and it's that there's nothing more electric than the moment just after a secret has been told and then the other things are other sensory memories that are not things that just happen once but they happen again and again and again the odd familiarity of flowering can print lines median and the hum of tires on a freshly paved section of road hmm. yeah those kind of sensations in life that are familiar because we yeah. experience them over and over again. Yeah. They, they're not exactly memories, but they're in our memory. Like they're, a, they're like baked into our muscle memory. And like you said, I did not think about that at all, but they're not memories because if we think about the first time we heard the hub of tires on Fresh Paved Road, I can I have no idea. I just know that it's been many but times. But we know what that is. We know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And even like when you're driving at night and mm -hmm. you can't really see, you can still tell, like, oh, they repaved this road recently. Yeah, 100%. Ship. Like, I so, you know what that sounds like. You know what it feels like. <laughs> it's a very nice surprise of life to suddenly hear on freshly paved road. Just like, but oh, ooh, it's smooth now. Yeah, yeah. Like we're floating through space. 
So memories that we think are going to last forever and then fade away, and maybe we still have them. And we have no control over that, it sounds like, because they decide. She mentions that we don't decide if they stick around, they decide. But these other things that we never think about, probably, I don't know when I think about, oh, yes, I would love to go on a freshly paved road today. It just comes out of the the void of other lost things that just suddenly reminds you of all the times you've, well, that no, doesn't even remind you of that. It just brings you into that experience yeah. again. It's, okay, I have a perfect example. So it's springtime now, but it was, it's been like kind of hot here lately. It's like been in the 80s. Wow. <laughs> so it a little bit feels like summer. Hmm. And I, I started hearing some blackbird that to me are more summertime birds. Hmm. And then today uh, we were just sitting in our apartment. They haven't turned our AC on yet. <laughs> oh. We're just sitting here, like you know, fanning ourselves Banking. with the windows yeah. open, and the and suddenly it just starts raining, like kind of softly, not like a harsh spring thunderstorm. It's just like a kind of like a summer drizzle, oh. and I had that like feeling physically. I'm like, it feels so much like summer right now, just from the sound of the rain and like the cool air coming in from the heat, and it like I had that physical memory. Like being a kid and like it being hot and then the rain comes and then it like cools down a little. So, okay, this is making me think about something that Jihei said last time we talked when she was saying, I can't remember which poem we were looking at, but she compared it to Proust and the Madeline cookie and saying that Coleman has brought up lots of these Madeline cookies. And the idea there is you have one of these kind of physical physical sensations that, you know, he's probably had hundreds of Madeline's. But then it brings him down a path of as if the memory itself is choosing where to go. And you then go down a path of recollection. Do you feel like when that happens, when it's the summer rain and in poem, in poems, Coleman, in Coleman's poem, the flowering quince and the freshly paved section of road, are we invited to go down like a rabbit hole of these memories? Or do you think it's just experiencing that memory and it's somehow, I guess it doesn't have to do anything other than that. Is it experience or is it experience for the sake of something? Well, it is a road. Roads lead somewhere. But also, the first line of that paragraph is, as highways have replaced the small rivers. And I don't, if you go to the first paragraph, I sailed magnolia leaves down the driveways, isolated rivers. Hmm. So are those highways replacing those toy, like pretend rivers in the driveway? Or they actual highways <laughs> that have replaced actual rivers in her hometown as it developed. Could be both. Both, yeah. To me, that highways replacing rivers is kind of a sad thing. It does feel like that, doesn't it? Yeah. It's not necessarily what you want, but it kind of is still beautiful. You know, there mm. the mirages of heat shift like light on water. Mm. You know, that's that's beautiful. Actually, is kind of pretty, you know, when <laughs> the blacktop is so hot, you know, you can look there and like everything's waving in the heat. That is actually, um, I do very much like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice Putting your topic. feet into the tar that's starting to melt because it's so hot. <laughs> we were talking about that first flush and, you know, the firecracker pop and the lightning. You know, she says it's a lightning bolt. Snap, the charge is the air, hmm. but 
then she says, there's nothing more electric than the moment just after a secret has been told. Mm-hmm. So that's still, that's kind of a positive, looking at it as a positive, like that kind of electricity is exciting and something worth mentioning. And even though, you know, that flash is gone, there's still this kind of crackle in the air. I don't know, maybe even though the rivers are gone, there's still this kind of mirage. This mirage, the the idea of the rivers being paved over and now becoming something like, now she's an adult and can drive on highways. Before it was like a pretend highway, you know, comparing, oh, these rivulets look like what I imagine a highway to look like while I sit in mom's car. But now the author is the driver. And earlier in poem three that we read, we have a poem that is all memories from the perspective of childhood that then switches to looking at pictures. And it feels almost like we're looking at what changes with perspective. If we can look back on these memories, yes, they are ours because we experienced them, but now we have a new lens. And does it does it ruin them because they've faded so much? Or is there is there some kind of odd familiarity to our own memories too when we're trying to reconnect with them looking through pictures? Interesting that she ends with, I am certain of one key thing, but then she contradicts that. She says, you know, it's the electric unless. moment after the secret. Yeah, and she says, unless... <laughs> no longer certain. It's the odd familiarity. So we have ghostly images that just suddenly haunt us. And then we have the electric ones that maybe stay electric for a very long time or always fade and remain in, in a mind cabinet. Yeah. No, I don't know what to think. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We were certain of what you think. A but lot now of memories. This whole poem, mm. you know, the accidental rarefication of Pattern number 5609. This whole poem is about memories. Kind of excited to talk more about it. Yeah. But I do like, I do really like how these two in particular connect specific, not specific, connect the sense of nostalgia. Yeah. And connect with talking about, you know, the mother and the father. Hmm. And I think maybe our memory questions might be answered. And, and later. Or we might get more questions. Uh, I think you're right about nostalgia. It's almost like both one and three are experiments in trying to define what nostalgia is or how it works on us. And it will be interesting to see, like you said, will we get more answers or more questions? I mean, we didn't mention so much the line, her marriage gone completely to see to season dry with no tears. Hmm. and. That line, I don't know, like I said, like I thought this one would go well with the unfair hours where also it's talking about her mother. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think I think that that I know I know mothers like this. My mother, my friends' mothers, you know, that have I don't want to say gone to sea, that's horrible, but you know, like have just kind of like lived their lives a certain way because this is how it's supposed to be. Like you're mm-hmm. supposed to be an azalea. And I, I really like, I like, I want to explore that more a little bit. Not now necessarily, but maybe in the future, maybe it'll come up again. The, the accidental verification one. Yeah. 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 They're fun. And I, I looked it up. I didn't know what that meant. I looked it up. It's a, it's a China pattern. Oh. Yeah. Huh. And it, it, like, it makes sense, like, number two is talking about, like, teacups and cracked saucers. You know, like, this rare china. 
And, you know, the more of it you break, the more valuable it becomes. That could come into our memory discussion, maybe. Cool. For sure. Huh, okay, I'll have to look that up. Interesting, yeah. Kind of interesting cool. call. Definitely. Well, thank you very much, Editor Sarah Dennison, for coming on. We'll have you on again soon for more of these accidental rarefication discussions. Yeah, I can't wait. Gonna be fun. All right, Sarah. Talk to you later. Join us again next episode as Timothy Arliss O'Brien, Nicholas Yandel, and I discuss the white phase and loved them like snow from Coleman Stevenson's Light Sleeper. You've been listening to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. You can join us as we read by buying a copy of Light Sleeper on deepoverstock.com shop. Use the code LIGHTSLEEPER at checkout. That's Light Sleeper, one word, no space in between. Thank you for listening and see you next time.